Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the perils of sin. Whatever you think you can gain through disobedience, listen to me. You will get in the hole. The pain of obedience is nothing compared to the pain of disobedience. The pain of obedience is temporary now. The pain of disobedience is for the rest of your life. It won't be bad at first. You think it's pleasure, but then pleasure turns to pain. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Word of God is full of promises of blessings and fulfillment when we walk according to His plan. But what happens when we decide to live by a different playbook? Today, Pastor Xavier helps answer this question as he brings us today's revealing message from the book of Genesis titled, The Fall from Riches to Rags. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden here is revealed through a conversation between the serpent and the woman Eve, which resulted in believing three lies. The first lie was to doubt the word of God. Notice, this is foundational. Doubt. Verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The shrewdness of the serpent would bring about ruin to their perfect fellowship with God and themselves. They didn't see it. That's the thing of deception. You don't see it. Now notice the words of the serpent implanted doubt in the minds of the woman Eve about the accuracy of the words declared by God. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the serpent did not come to Adam. Notice that. But he came to the woman. Listen carefully. The serpent put it in the negative. You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. God put it in the affirmative. Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. 2.16. What a difference. Same result, but what a difference. Negative things provoke us to break the law. We're lawbreakers, Paul says that. The law provoked me to do evil. The sign says, wet paint, don't touch. What do you do? I am convinced that you say, wet paint, please touch. Nobody will touch the stinking wall. <laughs> Satan turns it around. Magnifies the negative. Now notice the words of the woman reveal her deviation from the words of God through the subtle temptation to doubt the words of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman is now starting down the same road. She misquotes God by omitting the word every. She's picking up Satan's habits rather than God's. Notice the woman also now adds to the words of God regarding the tree of good and evil. Nor shall you touch it. God never said that. She was now speaking of her own authority. This is dangerous. The word of God is absolute authority over our life. Yours and mine. The fall was the result of the first lie, doubting the word of God. The second lie was to mistrust the character of God, verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, the words of the serpent move on to bring an attack on the personal integrity of God. Mark it well. 
Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The serpent was saying that God cannot be trusted as a person. He lies. (laughs) For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is attempting to keep you from your full potential intellectually, he's saying. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Eyes open are indicative of perception and understanding. In other words, God wants to control you and keep you ignorant and confined. You are your own person. You need no one else. Certainly not God. The woman and her husband could free themselves from their false restraints. And you will be, listen, like God. Wow. The doubt is to cut dependency. Now it's progressed to not depend on the deception of God. Ooh, one step at a time. The problem with experiencing evil is that it does not teach us, but it taints us. The warfare is intense, hand-to-hand combat. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, it is not against flesh and blood, by the way. It's um, presented through flesh and blood. Satan uses people to get to us at times, see? But it's spiritual. The warfare has a strategy. And Paul again in Ephesians 6.11 gives us his strategies. It is described by the word wiles. Here's what it means. Listen. Cunning, arts, deceit, craft, treachery. Same thing as here. We're not to be ignorant of the devices of Satan, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest he take advantage of us. Satan and his angels can transform themselves into angels of light in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Then how can we know which is which? By knowing the word of God. If you know the word of God when he speaks to you, you can say, this is not of God. But if you don't know the word of God, you have no way of judging. But even if you know the word of God, if you don't stick to the word of God, you can be sucked in like Eve. And I've seen many people get sucked in through the years. Right on, people. People used of God in a greater way than I'll ever be used. The warfare can be resisted, by the way, and overcome. Jesus resisted and overcame Satan in the wilderness. You know that. Luke chapter 4 is one of the main passages, verse 1 through 13. And he provides for us there the necessary weapons. I've mentioned them before. Jesus was praying at his baptism. The Spirit descended upon him, and the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and then he used God's word. Prayer, the filling of the Spirit, and the word of God. Those are the only weapons that you and I have. Paul tells us that God will never allow us to be tempted more than we're able with every temptation shows the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love that verse, and I hate that verse. I love it because I know no matter how bad it can get in my life, he will always give me the way of escape. I hate it because when I don't resort to the way of escape, I have no excuse. Let me give you some counsel regarding James. James chapter 4 verse 7. Listen well. James tells us the following. He says, we are to submit to God. We are to resist the devil and he will flee. We are to draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to us. Both must take place. I cannot resist the devil alone. I cannot just draw nigh to God alone. I have to resist the devil and draw nigh to God. And then the victory comes. 
Am I saying there's no warfare? No, no, no. There's warfare all the time. Different intensities. You know, we have some nice mild days, 65, 70. It's warm. It's nice. But then we have some 110. We're to give no place or foothold to the devil that he might cause us to mistrust the words or the wisdom of God in whatever prohibition he has clearly revealed to us. Ephesians 4.27. Therefore are good. You see, the fall was a result of a second lie, mistrusting the character of God. Any of you think that God owes you something? Any of you think that God shortchanged you in any way? You've been listening to the enemy then. Notice the third line. To trust in oneself more than God. This is the goal. Verse 6 to 8. In verse 6, the woman was unable to discern the deceptive words of the serpent and believed in herself to know better than God. This is the goal. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree is able to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The woman succumbed to the seductive temptation and took of its fruit and ate, acting apart and independent of her husband by a threefold process. Listen to it well. The first step the woman took down the road towards sin was in seeing the tree as good for food, the lust of the flesh appealing to the body's senses. The world understands this. They sell jeans to lollipops with sex today. A perfectly legitimate benefit created for man, food to eat, but the one that was forbidden. That's the problem. Nothing wrong with sex. God created it in marriage. You see what I mean? The word saw means to perceive and to look after. So the second step the woman took down the road towards sin was in seeing the tree pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eye appealing to her soul, the emotions, the intellect, the will. You're engaged now. You're building on it. You're reeling in. You're fine. I'm not going to let go of this baby. The word pleasant means to desire, longing for one's heart, only wants to have my heart. I'm to long for God. That which takes the place of God here is the emphasis. The third step the woman took down the road towards sin was seeing that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life appealing to be like God. And the word desirable means to covet, to take pleasure or delight in. And the sin of covetousness is idolatry, Colossians 3, 5. Listen. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Anything that I covet becomes my God. Your God can be sitting next to you. It can be in the nursery or taking up two parking stalls. Whatever you live for. Now, these three steps are to sin with three strikes are to baseball. Every step will be checked by the Holy Spirit of God in the life of every believer to go no further. We have all experienced a first check. <clears throat> what are you doing there? Hey, what, are you, what are you looking at? Eh, 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 eh. 
Once I take the first step, it's much more difficult to not take the second step. It is as if the one demands the other, though there will still be a check. If you study the life of David with Bathsheba, there were about five checks on David that he ignored. The first one, he saw her. The second one, he came in and asked, and the man said, is that not Uriah's wife? <laughs> and so on and so forth. He ignored them all. The last chance or hope of not sinning is just before I take the third step. The chances here are minimal, though there's still slim hope. Because I'm engaged. I'm committed. God's the last thing on my mind here. You understand? I'm into it. The woman solicited her husband then after she ate, and Adam joined her in her sin. Eve also gave to her husband. Adam should have rejected the fruit. Adam must have also gone through these very same steps. I don't think he was too far away. I think Adam was very aware. He was seduced. But he knew what he was doing. We're going to see through scripture. Adam ate. All that God had prepared for them to enjoy in the garden and creation was lost. All that the serpent promised them they had and would have attained more through obedience. Whatever you think you can gain through disobedience, listen to me. You will get in the hole. You will lose what you have and more. The pain of obedience is nothing compared to the pain of disobedience. The pain of obedience is temporary now. The pain of disobedience is for the rest of your life. It won't be bad at first. You think it's pleasure, but then pleasure turns to pain. Although human race was affected through Adam's sin, he's the federal head, the first man, Romans 5.12. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, you know, you've got some genes that do things in your life. And I'm not talking about Levi genes. I'm talking about genetic genes. My body produces cholesterol. That's just life. <laughs> All right? Adam is the federal head. We all send in Adam. This disobedience exercised the free will of their choice and came to know the evil by experience through that disobedience. You can't undo it. You can't redo it. You cannot go back. Every one of us know that. Notice in verse 7 and 8, the wonderful state that Adam and Eve both possessed was ruined. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Notice the outcome for both of them, for acting as their own gods, did not accomplish what was promised, to be like God. But rather, the image and likeness of God in which they were created became marred. The world will promise you so much, it can deliver little. Their eyes were open to see themselves no longer in their state of innocence. 
The eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. Erom, the word, which comes from the word of verse 1, Aram, which is the root of cunning, Arum. So there's a correlation completely. Verse 1 of 3, the cunningness, the root word is from here. Now they're naked in a different way. They were no longer in the nakedness of innocence, but sinful judgment. So you go to chapter 2, verse 25, in innocence, they were, not, they were naked, not ashamed. 3.1, the word there, the cunningness to take advantage of that. Verse 7 of chapter 3, now their nakedness is under judgment. Interesting. Their previous proper relationship to each other, as God intended in creation, was corrupted now. They weren't right with each other. They both experienced guilt and shame seeing their nakedness. But notice there in verse 7, the response of both of them was to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame and guilt from each other. They sewed fig leaves together, making coverings for themselves. The trees that were intended for their good, to nourish them, now are used to cover their sin and evil. The outcome for both of them was to be separated from their original fellowship with God. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, yet they all, what they do? They were hiding. All was not well in the garden. Their guilt and shame kept them from coming before God as they always had in oneness. That oneness had been broken now. Walking is symbolic of fellowship and oneness with God. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, among the trees of the garden. They both hid from God out of fear, knowing they had chosen to act as their own God, to run their own lives. The warning and promise of spiritual death had occurred instantly, immediately. Physical death would affect them later, chapter 5. They would see, first see it through their first son, Cain and Abel. Cain would kill Abel. Their nature was affected intellectually, morally, and spiritually by knowing good and evil resulting in a sinful nature now. Now Adam was not able to not sin as well as Eve. Augustine put it this way, pose non pecare, able not to sin. Prior to the fall, that's the way it was. But after the fall, man became non post and non peccati. In other words, not able not to sin. Before the fall, didn't have to sin. After the fall, all he could do is sin. He couldn't stop. Donald Gray Barnhouse puts it this way. Man is like a three-story house that was bombed in wartime. His spirit was destroyed his soul was ruined. His body was destined to final collapse. From the earth you were taken, from the dirt you will return to dust. Through Adam's fall, the entire human race, as I said in Romans 5.12, becomes a fallen race. Total depravity. Sin was imputed to humanity through the fall of Adam. And so, imputation. I am a sinner. I have sin nature through Adam. All have sinned. It's in the errorous tense, pointing to one act that affected everybody. It's not your own act. Adam's. 
The entire passage of Romans there from verse 12 to 21 is both in contrast and comparison to the one man Adam, the type of Christ, and the one man Christ, the anti-type, the fulfillment to come and redeem mankind from the fall. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was quickening spirit. The first Adam failed through disobedience. The last Adam did not fail because he was obedient to the Father. Jesus came to demonstrate that Adam had no excuse. He could have done it as a man depending on God, but he chose not to. Jesus as a man, not as God, depended on God and did what the first Adam should have done and could have done. Wow. Adam was not deceived. He transgressed, 1 Timothy 2.14 says. The woman was duped, snowed. Adam knew, and he stepped into it. The fall is attributed to Adam because he was created first and because to him was given the prohibition, and he transgressed willfully. Total depravity does not mean man has no potential for good. For man can choose between good, right, and wrong, between lesser and greater sins, even resists some temptations, but is bent us towards evil. The rich man said, all these things have I kept. The Pharisees tithe. Cornelius, he was a, a man who sought God. He feared God. So before we were Christians, we had some potential for good. So total depravity doesn't mean that you don't have potential for good, but you can't live in a perpetual goodness. We sin. Now, total depravity means man possesses, and listen well, no potential for pleasing God, nor can he do anything to change his sinful character and heart. He cannot regenerate his soul, repent with godly sorrow, or exercise faith, which results in salvation on his own, apart from God. Romans 3 10 through 12, not one good. Isaiah 64, 6, our righteousness is as filthy rags, a menstrual garment. So man has a potential for good, but is bent towards evil. Man is a slave to sin due to his sin nature, having no power to resist consistently and victoriously. Eve became the mother of all living. Later on, as we said in chapter 5, she got a son, Seth, in his own likeness, fallen, sinner. We cannot deny our sin nature, 1 John 1, 8. The truth's not in us if we deny it. We're not sinners or have sin nature. Every man and woman is tempted in these very three same basic levels of life. 1 John 2, 16. The lust of the flesh is from within, that sinful nature that attempts to pervert and distort the physical drives the body. The lust of the eye is from outside that stirs up my emotions, my desires to obtain them as I see them, the soul. The pride of life is from within. That arrogant and self-sufficient boasting and self-centeredness of my spirit, which is dead. I'm not concerned about spiritual things as a non-believer. So I have to be careful. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12 says. Adam and Eve chose that. Jesus was tempted in every area and level of temptation that you and I will ever be. And he did it victoriously, depending on the Father. And so you and I can do that. Hebrews 4, 15. The fall was a result of the third lie, trusting in oneself more than God. Here you have it. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden is revealed through the conversation between the serpent and the woman, which resulted in believing three lies. To doubt, 
the Word of God, to mistrust the character of God, and to trust in oneself more than God. Man, I need to hear this as your pastor. You need to hear this as a congregation. From riches to rags. Will that be the story of your life? I hope not. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the severe consequences of disobedience. And you can request a copy of today's message, The Fall from Riches to Rags. It's available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what we heard the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is The Fall from Riches to Rags. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Who was at fault for the first sin, Adam or Eve? That's our topic next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 